Good Tuesday morning to you, friends. This is Eric Sorensen, pastor at Hillside Church in Roxbury, New Jersey, contributor at 1517 uh, in numerous ways, husband to Missy and father to Jude, John, and Lincoln. Thanks for joining me today for our long gospel devotional on this January 19th, 2021. Uh, today, we're going to be looking at the Old Testament lectionary text for this upcoming Sunday, and that comes from the prophet Jonah. And as you'll see, this is, well, uh, the story of Jonah is, of course, a very in interesting, if, if, if but short, story. Um, <clears throat> but one of the things that it highlights for us is God's ability to work and do really phenomenal things, even through very, very flawed and imperfect people. And Jonah certainly fits that bill for us quite well. He displays this a number of times. And I'll give a little background about that story and, um, and then focus on the passage that is in our text today, which is basically Jonah chapter 3. But before we get there, let's give a little background as to why we are looking at this text for this weekend. So first of all, let's bring up our slides here. Uh, background and setting for this Sunday. Well, the first thing you should know is that the gospel text for this Sunday is uh, out of Mark chapter 1, verses 4 through 10 which is all about John the Baptist calling people to repentance. And of course, if you know anything about the story of Jonah, you know that he was indeed summoned by God to call the people of Nineveh to repentance. Nineveh being from, uh, being from Assyria. Uh, Assyria, not a very friendly place, as uh, Luke, or I should say Obi-Wan Kenobi might put it. You will never find a more wretched hive of scum and villainy. That was certainly the way Many thought of Assyria, and indeed for good reason. Even though Jonah, uh, the, the events of Jonah's time happen before Assyria really invades Israel and takes over Israel, they haven't committed all the atrocities that they eventually will yet. The fact is, their reputation was of being extremely bloody, extremely violent, and a vicious, vicious group of people. And so, as you might know, Jonah's response to being called by God to go and preach to those people is to, in fact, run away, and to run away as fast as he can. And so what he does is he jumps on a ship and hopes to go in precisely the opposite direction of where God is calling him to go. He doesn't want to go to Nineveh because, well, understandably, we would think anyway, naturally, he's afraid to go to Nineveh. At least that's what we assume. And, of course, God's response to Jonah trying to run from his call is to, in fact, cause a great storm to take place that will uh, inevitably cause the ship he's on to, uh, to go over if something isn't done. Pretty soon, Jonah is forced to confess that the reason this storm is happening is because he is running from God. And so the, peep, the shipmates on the ship toss him over, and what ends up happening, he ends up being swallowed by a big fish. Not a big whale, a big fish. Very important clarification there, even though most of your children's stories or Sunday school stories probably told you it was a whale because that's the easiest big fish type thing that we can uh, sort of imagine. Uh, but no, it's a big fish that swallows Jonah. Now there is, there is, some, uh, there is some interesting discussion about uh, whether it was in fact a big fish that swallowed Jonah or whether the fish is meant to be symbolic of Jonah actually drowning in the sea and then coming back to life. But for our you know, intents and purposes here, we don't really need to 
dig into the answer to that. I just have you look at chapter two of Jonah if you really wanted to see why that could be. I think you could see uh, at least a decent case could be made for that. Nevertheless, the text reports it's a big fish that swallows Jonah, so a big fish swallows Jonah. And what is Jonah's response to God's response? Well, Jonah's response after being in this belly of the fish is to call out in prayer and repentance, asking that God would spare his life, would bring him back up to life. And God's response to that prayer, of course, is for Jonah to be spit back out onto the ground and to be given another shot. So that's the story in a nutshell up to the point that we get to our passage today in which basically God's going to tell Jonah, now that I've saved you again, now that I've brought you out of the belly of the fish, it's time to get out there and preach my word to the people I have called you to go to. And unfortunately, what you're going to see is that Jonah is probably going to deliver eh, arguably the worst sermon ever recorded, at least in the scriptures. But before we get there, let's read Jonah 3, verses 1 through 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Now, of course, we don't just have to take Jonah's word for it about the greatness of Nineveh. We know from historical accounts from back during that time that indeed it was a massive city. It was a, a metropolis. And Jonah thinks about the prospect of going there and really doesn't want to go. But nevertheless, he's thinking about his options, being tossed overboard, being thrown into a, the belly of a fish, being unable to escape God's will for his life, and says, all right, fine, I'll go. And so he shows up, and this is what we have recorded for us as his message. Quote, Jonah began to go into the city going a day's journey, and he called out, yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That is it. We have no other recorded words of Jonah to the people of Nineveh. It is simply, yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now, you might expect, understandably, that the people would respond with something like this. But of course, that's not exactly what we'll see their responses. Nevertheless, what do we see from Jonah? Well, we see a very uninspired preacher. I mean, he doesn't want to be there. He doesn't like it there. That's abundantly clear. We see also a preacher that gives no explanation, or to use sort of preacher terms, no exegesis at all. He doesn't explain the word to them. He doesn't explain even who God is. I mean, after all, they're pagans. They don't even know who the true and living God is. We don't get anything from Jonah. He feels like he doesn't have to say anything at all. He gives the least amount of message he possibly can. Basically just says, you're all going to die in 40 days. And then, of course, maybe the worst indictment of this sermon is there is no gospel given at all. No mercy presented. No hope of mercy presented. It's just strike fat, strike first, strike hard, no mercy served. That's, in fact, the message Jonah brings. So Jonah clearly is not motivated to be there, and it shows. And so the question comes, 
at least up in my mind as I just read those first four verses, is, well, can God work through an apathetic preacher, dare say not just apathetic, unloving, uncaring, doesn't want to be there, burned out, tired, would rather do anything else. Can God work through a preacher like that who doesn't explain the word, or for that matter, who only preaches the law? Because that's, in fact, exactly what we see from the lips of Jonah. Now, folks, I, I wish I could tell you that Jonah was the only one who has preached such a sermon, but you and I both know that there's plenty of that type of preaching still going on today, where you can go to church and for 40 minutes you can hear a preacher tell you all the things you need to do and all the ways you haven't done it and all the ways you need to repent or else. As a matter of fact, side note, after being a pastor now for the last 13 and a half years, I have found that the sermons I've preached that have been particularly heavy on the law oftentimes tend to be people's favorite. People actually kind of like being beaten up a little bit, and pastors find it easy to preach such sermons because people give them positive reinforcement about it. And so, yes, this is not all that uncommon, and yet the question is, can God work through just the law? Can he work through a preacher that preaches such a drab and bare message? Well, we know that God can work through donkeys in Scripture. So the answer is yes, even, even through terribly delivered sermons with no explanation, done from, given from a pretty unloving person who doesn't care about the people he's preaching to, and even giving a sermon with no hope of mercy, yes, yes, God can still work. Because remember, the law does something. And this is a law sermon. Jonah says, 40 days, you're all going to die. God is coming to get you. That's as law as it gets. The threat is right there in front of their face. And so, as a result, what happens? Verse 5. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published throughout Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Now, this is a really remarkable response. Here, they've been given no hope from Jonah. They've been given no reason to believe that they have any hope of mercy at all. And yet, it's almost an indictment of Jonah's sermon. The king says, who knows? Maybe, maybe as we repent, this God he speaks of will take mercy on us. And so the question then becomes, will God forgive? Will God forgive the Ninevites for their evil? Will God forgive you for your evil? 
Will he forgive me? Will he forgive them? Will God forgive, even if we don't know uh, exactly who this God is, even if we're not sure who we're crying out to for mercy, as it would have been the case with Nineveh, will God forgive? Verse 10, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Indeed, God will forgive because God has taken the punishment for Nineveh's sins, for your sins, and for my sins on the cross. There's no clearer picture of Jesus taking the sins of even the worst than of the thief on the cross next to Jesus who cries out, remember me, and Jesus promises him he will. From that same cross, Jesus says to his enemies, who were no less wicked than the Ninevites, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Indeed, the truth is God's mercy is available to all who repent and believe. It's available to all. God extends his hands out in mercy. As he, as he says in the prophet Isaiah, I stretch out my hand to a stiff-necked people all day long, but they will not come. But it's not for him. It's not because of him. It's not because he's unwilling. No, God desires to be merciful to all, even the worst of the worst, like Nineveh would have been. Who, who might that be? Well, God's so merciful that he can forgive people like the son of Sam because Christ took his sin on the cross. God's so merciful that, yes, he can forgive a guy like Jeffrey Dahmer because he took his sin on the cross. God's so merciful that he can forgive a Bernie Madoff, or he can even forgive a Richard Ramirez, a Night Stalker, who I can remember vividly as a child growing up in Southern California, just outside of L.A., being terrified of. Yes, yes, the blood of Christ is sufficient to forgive all sinners who repent and believe, including me and including you. Somehow, even though Jonah gives no indication of where they might find mercy or how they might find mercy, the law has done its work in the hearts of the Ninevites that they are crushed. And just by simply crying out for this mercy, God says, you've got it. I will give it to you. Because he knows, he knows what his son Jesus Christ will accomplish for them and for us. One last thing before we go today. We had said at the beginning that, well, we assumed that the reason Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh was because he was afraid. That could be, uh, that could be a part of it. But actually, when you go to the very first verses of chapter 4, you're going to find that actually the reason Jonah gives such a crummy sermon and promises nothing but destruction, and tries to avoid going there, isn't really because he's afraid of them, but he's actually afraid of the goodness of God. Look at what it says. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. 
Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. What really motivates Jonah to want to flee from the Ninevites, to not go there, isn't fear of the Ninevites. It's fear of the mercy of God. He just knows, he just knows that somehow God will work even through the worst possible sermon to inspire a need for mercy in the hearers' minds and hearts. And that's indeed what he does. In fact, what was Jonah's greatest fear? That God would be gracious to enemies and bad people is our greatest hope. And that is why we can go on today with confidence and joy and inspiration, even if we are the recipients of or the deliverers of bad preaching, even if some of us have delivered some real, real clunkers, like guilty. Yes, God is still in the business of working through people in spite of them in order that those who hear might receive the mercy that is extended through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so we continue to deliver that word, whether we're perfect at it or not, whether we're good enough at it or not, confident that he'll work through us and in spite of us. And that is good news. So with that, folks, thank you for joining me today for this long gospel devotional. I hope you saw clearly how the law was present in our text and yet how the gospel shines forth as God extends his mercy and forgiveness to those who had uh, heard this word and those who had called out for mercy. I hope you have a great day and that you live endlessly uh, confident in the mercy of God for you. God bless you.